Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I'm going to share with you today something very simple, but I'm going to need your help along the way. Um, would you say these two words with me? Invest. Go ahead. Invest and invite. Invite. You know, when we talk about what the mission of the church is, those two words really get down close to what the mission's all about. I think they're a really good shorthand way for remembering that. I don't know if you know this, but the job of a pastor is a little interesting. I love my job. Uh, last week, by the way, I got to share with a lot of other pastors some of the things that we have learned in the seven years we've been a church, and we hit about 200 different churches in that sets of discussions that I was able to have, and they were very impressed with what God's been able to do with a group of people like us all the way over here in Cincinnati, and many of them uh, have asked me uh, ongoingly, like, how can I get some of the resources and, and do some of the practices that Four Corners is doing? So I just want you to know, you guys have inspired a group of people uh, all the way over in Virginia, about 200 churches there, and I'm just, couldn't, couldn't be prouder, but when I was talking with them, it reminded me really about what the core of what we're all about is, and that is getting people on board with God's work in their life, personally, so that there's a personal benefit and a personal component, and also inviting people into the larger mission of what God is doing in the world so that it's not just about me or just about you. It's about what God wants to do in the world. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about, and those two words are really going to help us. I want to take you to a place in the Bible, though, that kind of sets us up. John chapter 1, verse 40 through 42. John chapter 1, verse 40 through 42. John, in your Bibles in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's one of the four books in the Bible that tells the story of Jesus. And so when you read the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you get is the way Jesus did the thing he did. And from those stories, we can draw all kinds of beautiful and powerful and life-impacting, life-changing truths into our own life. This particular story is the first chapter, so it's all the beginning stuff. And we see Jesus walking around calling a group of people into relationship with him. He builds a relationship with these people, and then he invites them into the mission he's doing in the world. And specifically, we're going to talk a little bit about Peter today. How many of you, just by show of hands, would say, Ben, I've heard of the guy in the Bible named Peter. Would you do that real quick? Yeah, yeah. This guy's famous. He's a big deal. And you're going to get his beginning story, his first few steps, maybe his first bold steps that he took to get in a connection with Jesus and to see how those steps took place. And let me tell you, there's two reasons I'm sharing this with you. One is in hopes that you, if you have bold steps to take with Jesus still, if you're like me and you haven't gotten everywhere you need to be, you've still got a place to go, you're still on a journey, my hope is that by the end of the day, you've taken a step further closer to Jesus. But the other reason, just pragmatically, is we're trying to maximize the impact of this church and this specific community over this next week called Easter. So we're not just trying to grow ourselves, we want to invest in other relationships and invite other people to be walking with Jesus in a life-changing way. I have this idea that says, if somebody's really my friend, I don't want to take the best parts of my life and shield it from them. I don't want to hide the best that I have from my friends. If I really love people, if I really care about people, I want to take the best that I have and share it with them. You guys know what this is like. You have friends, I'm sure. And when you have friends when you were a little kid, like if it was a really good friend and you got some really good candy, you like probably took it out and shared it with them a little bit. Or if you got a new bike, you wanted your friend to see your bike, sharing that excitement, and you probably let them ride it with you. As, as you get older, 
you get an idea, maybe you get a, a, a hot stock tip, not insider trading, but a tip, very different, significantly legal, different level. But you get a, a hot stock tip, and maybe you share that with a friend in hopes that they can share in the benefit of that thing. When I was getting married, I was learning all kinds of things about relationships and stuff. And in my friend group, I was the first one to really like advance in a relationship and get married. And so all the guys wanted to know all kinds of stuff, much of which I couldn't and didn't share, Jill. Thank you. And a lot of which, of course, I was able to share because I wanted my friends to know the good stuff I was experiencing, partly to celebrate with me, but mostly so that they could experience some of that too. And this is our story we find in John chapter 1. Verse 40 through 42, Jesus has been talking with John the baptizer's disciples. And they're trying to figure out, John's disciples are, they're trying to figure out if Jesus is the one, if he's really the big deal, if he's the one they've been waiting on. And Jesus has just confirmed, I'm the one. I'm it. I'm the one that John talked about. I'm the one all the Old Testament prophets have been leaning towards. I'm the one that your soul is waiting on. And there are a few people around hearing that discussion. One of them was a guy by the name of Andrew. Now, you've heard of his famous brother, many of you. His famous brother's name is Peter. And so Andrew was there hearing the discussion between John's disciples and Jesus. And he catches wind that Jesus is the one. And something inside of his heart clicks. And he's like, that's it. The worlds have come together. It makes sense now. This is the guy. And Andrew didn't want to sit on that alone. He does something pretty powerful here. John chapter 1, verse 40, here's what it says. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. Now, Messiah was a word they used, which simply means the Christ. Messiah in Hebrew Christ in Greek, they both mean anointed, the anointed one, the special one. We found him. And he brought Simon, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. And then Jesus looked at Simon and said, now I love this. You are Simon, the son of John. There are a lot of Johns in the Bible. Uh, you're Simon, the son of John, and you will be called Cephas. Uh, again, Cephas in Hebrew, which is translated into Greek, Petros. Petros, which we call in English Peter. Yeah, so it gets a little confusing with all the languages, but your name was this, but now it's going to be the rock. Your name was this, but now it will be the rock. And Jesus invites Peter into a relationship with him, and they begin to walk together. And all kinds of great things happen in Peter's life. We discover when we read the story of Peter that Peter wasn't perfect. This is why he's my favorite disciple, because he's not perfect, and yet there is this patience in Jesus as Jesus works with Peter. How many of you would say, one more time, just a little help, hey, I'm that kind of disciple that I needed Jesus to be patient with me on my walk. Would you just very quickly raise your hand? Yeah, okay. If you're sitting by somebody who didn't raise their hand, they're either disconnected, they're playing on their iPhone, or they're a liar. Either way, you don't want to sit by them next week, okay? They're not, they're not engaged in good things. Yeah, Peter was the kind of disciple who needed some patience by Jesus. He just was a bonehead. And yet at the beginning of the journey, Jesus says to him, you're the rock. Like, your name was this, but I'm going to start calling you Petros, the rock. And on you, all kinds of things are going to happen. Jesus says to him later, you're Peter, the rock, and I'm going to establish the entire work I'm going to do in the world on you, Peter. I'm going to establish it 
on you. You're going to be like the head. You're going to grab hold of the leadership reins of this entire group. And me and you together are going to start a thing called the church. And people's lives are going to be changed. People are going to find hope that don't have hope. Marriages are going to be restored. People are going to find purpose and meaning. Their life is going to find a new level of significance. There will be for some people peace even in the middle of pain. And I'm going to set what is wrong in this world right. Because of what we're doing, Peter, what's going to happen? The gates of hell, like major pushback, is going to happen in a spiritual level. But Peter, if you stay with me, the gates of hell won't be able to withhold the onslaught of the work we're going to do in this world. This is the very thing that Jesus invited Peter into. And for many of you in this room, You've already experienced a little bit of that. We've all, many in this room at least, have experienced a foretaste of what God wants to do in our lives. Man, it's a beautiful thing. It's why every week we get up here and we talk from the Bible with as clear language as possible so that people can continue in that relationship of God in their life. And we can't force that to happen, but we can create an environment where people come in with open and willing hearts and they begin to grow forward. It's also why we want to make sure that our circles remain open. Last week, Greg and Nate shared with you the power of circles, how circles are better than rows. And yet I'm here to share with you even a more powerful truth, I believe, which is that if your circles are open, they will give life not just to you, but to literally dozens and perhaps hundreds of people around you. It's important that we operate in close networks of friendships and, and relationships and experience what God has for us together. But also what's very important is that we leave space in our circle for other people. This is what Andrew knew intuitively. He knew that when he heard about Jesus from the discussion that was happening with John's disciples and Jesus' disciples, Andrew knew that it was good for him, but he also knew that he needed to share that with somebody he cared about. And in this case, that person was his brother, Peter. And it began to change not just Andrew's life, but it began to change Peter's life. I got to tell you, as I was talking about this today, God began to put on my mind several people in my life that he would like, I believe, to do more in their life, have more freedom to work in their life, be, be permitted because they willingly accept his way, he would be more permitted to bless their life and bring them to a place that they've never even maybe asked or imagined. And I bet without a whole lot of time or effort, you could think of one or two people as well that you believe because you care for them, because you know them, you know where they are, you believe that it would be good if God had more freedom in their life to do full work. You think it would be good for them if they cooperated a little bit more clearly with the way of God in their life so that God's way of doing life would benefit them personally. My mom and dad, take this part of the Christian mission very seriously. My dad retired about 15 years ago, retired early, God blessed his life, and really, um, really just did a remarkable thing in their finances um, over the years as they were faithful. And my dad got to retire early, and I said to him, well, Dad, what are you going to do with all this time? And he said something to me very strange, and I wondered what was really going to happen when we worked it out uh, as a family. He said, I'm going to take our time, and your mom and I are going to try to travel around and visit our family and we want to share with them the message of Jesus in hopes that they can experience it too. And I thought, all right, that's going to be interesting to watch. And sure enough, over the last 15 years or so, 
my parents have taken a lot of their free time, gotten in their car, and traveled to the various places where all of their brothers and sisters live. And on my mom's side, by the way, there were 18. And on my dad's side, there were 12. So we're talking a lot of people. And they, yeah, it's West Virginia. I have no, I can't explain it. Um, they, by the way, there were no like, you know, you know the, 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 the tree did fork, is all I'm going to say. At least in my, the tree did have forks in it. So, uh, so they begin to travel around and visit people. And little by little, here's what I watched my parents do. They were just friendly and kind to their family. And when they would visit, they would take them out to eat, or they'd sit around and they would just have fun discussion. They would work puzzles. They would play Scrabble, in part because it's just a fun game, and in part my dad always cleans up, and that makes him feel good. So, so they would play games together, and they would watch TV together, and they'd sit around and talk about old times together. And this happened for four or five years. They would just go around and they would be friendly and pleasant to this family who they knew weren't, not in a judgmental way, but in a hopeful way, in a, in a I love you and I want the best for you kind of way, in, a, in, in like the kid, I've got some really cool candy and you're my friend and I want to share it with you kind of way. They were just engaging and fun around their family. And I thought, well, this is interesting. I see all this time and energy and effort and money being spent to hang out with your friends, but where's this really going? But somewhere after just a few years, a remarkable thing began to happen. In individual family members' lives, what would happen is some kind of transition or change or stress would happen in their lives. And then the phone would begin to ring at my parents' house. My, my mom, all their friends and family call them Benny and Randy. Uh, so they would call and they would say, Benny and Randy, um, there's something going on here. My son is sick. I'm facing a job situation. Um, I, I, we're, we're thinking about moving. And then they would say, would you guys pray for us? That would be a kind of a common thing. Or, or, or what do you think, or sometimes they would say, what do you think we should do? And I watched the relationship grow from just being friendly and fun to having meaningful conversations about things that really matter. Didn't happen overnight, but it began to happen. And then the strangest thing over the next few years, as the relationships turned from friendly and fun and just kind of enjoying each other's company and really embracing each other and making time for each other, to having conversations about things that matter and are important and getting below the surface, the next stage that began to happen was little by little, one by one, family members began to make decisions to follow Jesus for themselves. They began to say for themselves, I'm in a place where I think I need God's work in my life. I know what you've said. I know what they've said. I've heard what they've said over here. But for myself, I'm ready now to begin walking more cooperatively with God in my life. I acknowledge some of them would say, I've blown it. I, I've made mistakes. I'm a sinner. And I need God in my life. And little by little, I've watched my parents' family, both sides, begin to turn towards God in a profound way. All the credit goes to God. Because God's the one who initiates grace. God's the one who draws. But God specifically chose to use two people on this earth to make that happen. And that was my parents. Now, here's what I think about you. I think God wants to do something powerful in your life that will benefit you and your family. But I don't think that's the entire story. I think the other side of the coin is pretty simple. 
He wants to use you to bring lift and encouragement and hope and God and a relationship with God to other people. And I think sometimes the enemy of our soul is very content to have you so focused on you and your stuff and what you need and what you like that you don't even consider what's on the other side of the reality with him. And the tragedy in that is twofold. One part of the tragedy is, is that other people don't get to experience it as fully because God has made it clear in the scripture he's going to use people to reach people. He's going to take found people who have a relationship with God. He's going to take found people and help them, use them to help find people. He's going to take saved people and use them to help save others. That's just the way God chose to do it. And the tragedy is, is that other people aren't going to experience it, but for you personally, the greatest joys in your Christian life will not come because God blessed you with a little bit more money. It won't come because God gave you peace in the middle of a transition. Your greatest joys, your highest spiritual highs will not come simply because you have a sense that your life is put together. Your greatest joys will come when you actively engage serving others and you begin to see the impact it has on other people. Your greatest joys will come as you invest in other people and see the impact that God makes in their life. That's why, as a church, by the way, just a little bit of PR here for us, that's why we want to partner with you to help you discover your passions and interests and joys, not just to serve you, but to leverage all that God has blessed you with in impacting other people. Can I be honest with you as a pastor? Some of you are in a spiritual funk, an emotional funk, because you've been so myopically attuned to your own situation. And what God would like to do is lift your eyes a little bit out of your own circle and help you see a world around you. Not that so far away you can't impact them. You know, you and I probably will never win the world. God wants to turn our eyes to the world around us and help us see the people right next to us who haven't experienced the grace of God fully in their life who don't know that there's a God who, as we sung about today, and I felt my spirit rise as we were singing it, our God's not dead, but he's surely alive. Well, they, they've heard that, but it hasn't become personal to them yet. They're not sitting in circles with other people, generally going in the same direction, receiving encouragement and love. And God has tapped all of us on the shoulder, and he said, would you help me do that? Would you help me share that? I, of course I want to bless you. But there's never been a place or a time in your life where you've been so overcome that I couldn't use you to not just deal with your own stuff, but to help others. So in the next five, six minutes, I just want to share with you some practical things that we as a church can do. Of course, I'm sharing this in part because Easter's just right around the corner. But this is why we do church. For you but for them as well. See, I don't think we've succeeded as a church if we just fill up our seats. I think we're getting closer to success as God defines it when people in this community look at this group of people and say, there's a group of people that will love you. There's a group of people that will embrace you. There's a group of people that will share hope with you no matter where you're starting from. There's a group of people who will believe in you and help you find your interests and your strengths. There's a group of people who believe in me. God's not done yet. They'll help you. 
when people outside of these walls start describing us that way, we're getting really close to the way God describes success. So here's, a, here's an idea. There's a few ideas I had as I was thinking this week about how God could use us. Here's the first one. Did you realize that it's more effective to reach people that you already know than it is to reach strangers? So when we think about who God might want us to reach, sometimes I think we make the circle too large. It's like we got to go out and win the world. God wants to send me to Africa. God wants me to send me to the bush country where, where, you know, where nobody's ever gone, no, no, no human uh, white person has ever gone before, and he wants to use me to be the great savior of that community. And that's simply not true. Most of us, our reach really is just one circle out from our own small realities. It's the people you live next door to, that you probably already know them a little bit. It's the people you work with. It's the people you go to school with. It's the people that you have a relationship with because you're blood-related, but they're not really a part of your life. God wants to use you and me in those ways. And here's another thing. This will, I think, help relieve a little bit of tension. It's more effective to reach friends than enemies. And so sometimes the most practical thing we can do to really get serious about God's mission in this world is just be friendly to people. When I began, I asked you to use the words invest and invite. Here's here's what I mean by that. Invest simply means to find a few people in the next circle of your life, not the one up close and personal, but the very next circle out, and choose one or two of those people and begin to invest in the relationship. Not for any purpose at all, other than to invest in the relationship. You're not trying to get them to cross a line. You're not trying to get them to say anything or do anything. They're not a project. They're a person. And you build relationships with those people. You grow in those relationships. You invite them to your house. You have them over for dinner. You play games with them. You do the things you enjoy, and you do the things they enjoy. And when you do that, friendships develop. And what I have found is that people are much more likely to come to Christ as they're being encouraged by their friends than by strangers. As they're being encouraged by their friends and not their enemies. That's why, just so you know, I know elections are coming up and I'm doing my little 30-second pastoral intervention here. That's why as a church, we don't land publicly on all the political stuff going on. And sometimes that really ticks people off. Because on one side or the other, they want us to take a position. But God hasn't called us as a church to be a political church. He's called us to take the scripture and preach the scripture. And when the scripture is black and white, we're black and white. And where it's gray, we're gray. And what that means is that you can be a Democrat and go to heaven. And you can be a Republican and go to heaven. It's okay. And we have people in this church that are in all places and the spectrum of the political arena. And some of them get so passionate that you will never hear me be passionate about politics to any level to the, that I'm passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in my private life, you come sit down with dinner with me, I'll tell you who to vote for. <laughs> and why you're wrong for not voting the way I would have you vote. I'll do that. Because, you know, I, I got opinions. I'm, you know, I'm right, too, by the way. I'm, <laughs> so, 
So, I mean, just so you know, it's not that I don't have personal opinions, but our mission of the church isn't to take non-biblical agenda items and raise them up and say, this is what we're about. And before you can be comfortable in our environment, you must first put an R by your name. We're not going to do that. Right? Or a D or a, an L for libertarian for the, 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 you know, who's the libertarian running right now? See, nobody even knows the guy's name, and yet he keeps winning these delegates. Anyway, um, so our point here is, is that we're not trying to create enemies, and so I'm just going to give a little s- small gentle encouragement here. Look, you engage political discourse and other discourses as you want. As a church, we try to do that in a way that we don't build barriers, and yet we're never going to compromise the Scripture. So that's the tightrope we're trying to walk, because we think it's more effective to reach friends than enemies. Let me share with you two st- statistics real quick. A recent survey showed this, that 60 to 80% of first-time guests in a growing church come because somebody invited them to come. 60 to 80%, somebody invited them. They didn't come because of some marketing campaign. They didn't come just because it was Easter and you got to go to church somewhere on Easter and this is the closest building. Or wouldn't it be cool to go in a theater? I'll just go there. That's not why they, somebody chose to invite them to come. And then one in four people say, They'll attend church with the friend that invites them the very first time they're invited. One in four people. Say, if somebody would simply invite me to their church, I would go. So, who is it that you potentially could reach? Here's a few ideas. Number one, people you already know. I mean, this is what my parents did. They decided with the time they had, they were going to work the influence circle they already had, their family and friends. There was a reason to show up already because they already had a relationship. But they were going to invest in those relationships and build friendship for a while just because they loved and cared and hadn't been able to take the time like they had now to do that. People you already know are, is, a, is a great place to begin thinking about the other side of this coin of what God wants to do in your life. The side of the coin that will bring you your greatest joy and excitement and, in, and, and the greatest sense of, of walking in victory, the, the greatest sense of peace and joy will come to you because you invest not only in yourself, but in the other side of the coin, those people that God's put in your life. So here's a few suggestions for reaching people you already know. You know what we could do as a church? We could start including them in the activities that we're already doing. I mean, I'm having a barbecue. You can come over to my house and have one. Not just my church friends, but probably if I'm going to do that, a few of my church friends and one or two of my neighbor friends, just inviting them into what I'm already doing. We're going bowling as a church or as a youth group. I'm going to invite them into what I'm already doing. I have an event coming up. I'm going to invite them to go. The goal is just to spend time with them because they're people, not a project. Here's something else that's pretty powerful. Nothing earth-shattering here. But you can invite people that God puts on your heart into your house. You can have a dinner with them. You can talk with them. I mean, you work with people right now that are starving for fellowship. It's a biblical value. It just simply means having friendships that are healthy <laughs> as opposed to friendships that aren't healthy. How many of you have people you care about that you work with, you go to school with your family, and they have friendships that aren't healthy? Parents, this is time for you to raise your hand. You have kids, right, who have friendships who, that aren't healthy. You can invite them into your home and show them what godly fellowship looks like. It looks like a meal together. It looks like talking about what's important to you. It looks like listening. You can invite them to your house. Here's something else you can do. You can intentionally socialize and grow friendships. You really can. You can decide, I'm going to open up my circle. Circles are better than a row. 
but I'm going to open up my circle, and I'm going to let a few more people in. Not the whole world. You're probably like me. You don't have room for 100 more friendships, but I bet you're also like me. you got room for one or two more. And if you prayed about that, I bet God would give you a name or two of who you could begin to invest in that relationship. So there are people you know. Here's another group of people we could reach. People you used to know. Do you like, are you like me? You have entire groups of people that were part of your life in the past, but a transition happened, a change took place, and, and yet if you called them, they'd be glad to hear from you. The other day, I was chatting with somebody, and they said, God put somebody on my heart to pray for them, to think about them. And I don't know, just that phrase got stuck in my head a little bit. And so I was driving by myself in the car, and I was thinking, God, when was the last time I just said to you, Lord, is there anybody you would like me to pray for and think about? And I don't mean just like on Tuesday prayer time when the staff gets together and we spend a lot of time praying for you guys. But I mean just like for me and my specific sphere. I was challenged just a little bit. And honestly, in just about 35, 40 seconds, I had a list of four or five people that I knew that God would be pleased if I would reach out and make contact with them. There are people that you used to know that would love to get a phone call from you, hear from you, and just catch up a bit. And then finally, there's a group of people that you could reach as well. There are people you would like to know. People you would like to know. These are people that maybe you just want to go up and say, hey, would you like to catch lunch? You can invest in that relationship for the purpose of just being friends. And also, with an eye open to what God might want to use you for in their life to bless them, to open up doors of opportunity for them to encourage them, to pray for them privately, and maybe just be in a place so that if they go through normal life, when they need something, they have a friend that they can rely on, a friend who isn't walking in their own strength, a friend who has a direct connection to Jesus, a friend who would potentially open the door for them to know more about God. So here's some steps we can take as a congregation. We can pray for the people God's put in your life. You can pray for the people that God's put in your life. You can listen to their story. Here's something I've discovered. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And listening to people goes a long way. In my friendship, one of the things I've been challenged with is to mention spiritual matters early. It's that idea that if my spiritual life with God is very important, why, do I, why would I withhold that from my friendships? I want to bring what is fully a part of me into that. And then finally, we can invite them to church. You know, my idea here is, is that when I when I serve someone, when I do it, that's kind of like the appetizer. But there's an entire table, a banquet spread, an entire meal available to them. So I want to get people involved in my church or other churches where they can get regularly involved in a relationship with God. They can regularly be in the environment where they'll be challenged. Let me share with you very practically one big challenge here. It's a challenge that we have to get over emotionally, I think. This right here is the cross. And all around this world, there are people who are in various stages of connection to this cross. This arrow here represents people that are looking at the cross, right? Some of them are nice up close and personal, and so they kind of got it together. I mean, they've, they've been moving towards Jesus for a while. They've been walking in the direction you have them walk. And so as they get closer, they start looking pretty good and their life begins to get lined up. They begin to look more and more like us, right? Some people are, they're looking, toward, they're way down here and, you know, they, they, their life isn't fixed. They're just in the first few steps of their connection to God. Other people, by the way, they're, you know, kind of looking away from the cross, right? They're various places in your life and they're not all that engaged and their faces pointed in their other direction. Some of them, by the way, 
are way down here. And like their values, the way they do life, they don't, it doesn't line up with us at all. And so they're like way away. And other people, they're up close and personal. They, they, they look like they got it together, but they're not in an active relationship with Jesus. Now here's the challenge. In some churches, what some churches encourage you to do and this is where we're a little bit different. They look at you and they say, for all the people that are up close, draw your circle, the ones that look like us and talk like us and believe like us and vote like us. They kind of look alike. They kind of already have our values. Those are the people we want up close and personal in our circle. We want them, we're, we're more, more comfortable, not with where they are, but with how they act. Not with where they're going, but with how they, they align with where we are right now. Eh, that's, I guess that's okay to some degree. What we're asking you to consider doing is to not simply draw your circle by those people that look most like you, but be willing to draw your circle, not necessarily surrounding the cross, but to be willing to invite anybody that's willing to turn their eyes and ears and their hearts towards Jesus, no matter how far away they are. So it could be that there are some people right now that you could have a relationship with that don't look anything like us, that don't believe like us, don't vote like us, don't carry themselves, don't talk like us, use words we don't use, don't know the meanings to the words we use, and they're far outside the sphere of what generally looks like church, but it could be the very people that God would bring you in. Let me ask you a question, this is just good theology right here. Which do you think Jesus is more concerned about? Now, hold your answer for a second. Do you think he is more pleased with the people who completely look like what we think Christians should look like? Or do you think he's more pleased with people who are facing the cross no matter where they're starting from? See, I think that churches sometimes limit who they can reach because we're more concerned with getting people that look like us than we're then we are concerned about reaching people who, no matter where they're starting from, would, begin, would be willing to begin walking in the right direction. So this little diagram with the arrows indicating the direction people are facing, what it's supposed to be saying to us is that there might be people in your life who you think they're so far away from the cross they can't be reached. But do you know what it takes to please Jesus? It's a biblical word called repentance. And it simply means to change direction. So what that means is that if I'm far away from the cross and my life doesn't line up at all and I'm experiencing all kinds of sin and the consequences of sin in my life, if I repent and turn towards the cross, even if I have a thousand miles to go, I'm in full obedience with Christ. All I have and all he wants me to do is to begin walking. That's it. It also means that if I look like I'm the best Christian in the world and I'm standing right up here close to the cross, and I, and I look like I got it all together and I say the right words and I know the right doctrine and I know the right theology. But my heart isn't aligned with Christ, really. And I'm not really concerned about his mission. And I'm not really in a relationship. I just happen to grow up in the environment where I know it all. Even though I'm kind of standing, as, it, as you look at my life right next to the cross, it could be that I'm walking in the greatest disobedience as my eyes are turned away from the cross. And if I keep walking, I'll get further and further away. I think that there are people in your life and mine that God would like to touch this Easter and over the course of this church year that you already have relationships with 
that you could have a relationship with, you used to have a relationship with, that are just one simple, easy turn towards the cross from a life and eternity-changing decision. Just one turn. Some of them will look like they've got it together and you're going to be comfortable around them. Others of them aren't going to be like you at all and it's going to be a bit of a stretch. But I think God could use us as a church powerfully in their lives. And I think God could use you. And if you're thinking, Ben, I don't really have my own junk together. How could God use me? You're the perfect candidate. Andrew didn't have his stuff together, but at the beginning of his journey with Jesus, the very first thing he did after he said yes to Jesus, he went and got his brother and said, hey, why don't you think about this too? Because they already had a relationship. Peter was open to that. And then through that interaction that Andrew had with Peter, it changed everything. Why don't you grab out your connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. Here's next step A. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the very first time. We really think that that turning, that repentance is a big deal. We want to help you do that. So if you'd like to do that for the very first time as an adult, we're going to pray about that in a moment. If you've checked the box and drop your card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of our service, we're going to send you just some information via email and through a snail mail about what that means, all right? Next step B, I want to get baptized. Hey, by the way, guys, we got, I think, 10 or so people getting baptized today. If you're getting baptized, go ahead and make your way right over here to the wall, all right? These are people who've said, I'm following Jesus. I want the world to know. I'm going public with my faith. I am on a new way with him. Some of them, by the way, made that decision years ago but they're going public for the very first time. We're so proud of them. They want you to know that your investment in this church through serving and giving and coming and being a part, creating an environment, it's made a difference in their lives. So if you want to do that, check the box. We'll sign you up for next time. Next step, C. Now listen, don't just check this box, but would you be willing to invite at least one person to Easter at Four Corners? Just one. You can invite more, but I'm asking you to invite just one. It could be the very invite that changes eternity for somebody. One in four people said they would go to church with a friend on the very first time they were asked. 60 to 80% of the people who go to churches today came because a friend invited them. You might be that friend. Next step, D. Now, now, this is culture setting for us. I'll help make people who come to Four Corners feel welcome. Now, here's two big theological concepts. By smiling (laughs) and speaking first. You know, sometimes we have people come to our church and they say, Ben, people around me didn't talk to me. And I say, well, who were they? Describe them. And it becomes apparent that the person they were standing next to was also relatively new to our church and was probably waiting for somebody to smile and talk to them first. So around here, we have to remind ourselves, our job is to smile, be friendly, and take the initiative to speak first. That's why we have you turn towards each other and say hello during the service often. So around here, would you help us? And listen, so I'm asking you, would you be willing to commit to being friendly and creating an environment where people can feel welcomed so that even if they're way down here, but they're looking towards the cross, they feel like they're in our circle, all right? And then next step B. There are people I love who are not actively following Jesus. And I'm praying for them with a renewed commitment. If you've been around church for a while, you've heard messages similar to this. And sometimes it gets old hat and we get kind of numb to the pure mission of evangelism. And I'm asking you to throw off that deception and re-engage in prayer and in friendship building the mission of the church, the mission of this church. All right? 
So in just a few minutes, guys, we're going to pray a few moments, but we're also going to baptize a few people. And you know how that works around here. The first sound they hear coming up out of the water is their brothers and sisters in this room. They're in our circle, and they get to hear us cheering for them and celebrating. It's the sound that the angels make when people turn their hearts towards God. It's the sound we make as we confirm and acknowledge and celebrate and bless them as they do that. So let's pray about these things right now. Lord Jesus, God, you're so good. God, as we have focused on the three important things to know about Easter, that we can have a personal relationship with you, and it matters, that circles are better than rows, and the fellowship and friendship you offer us, everybody in this world needs. And finally, Father, the call to make sure that our circles are open and that we invest in people and we invite them to be in a relationship with us in prayerful hope that they'll engage a relationship with you. Lord, I pray today for those people that are making decisions to follow you as their Lord and Savior. They're repenting of their sin. They're asking you to be their forgiver and their leader. God, I pray for the people that you're putting on people's hearts right now. People who need to be invited and encouraged to come to church on Easter where they'll hear about you and hopefully begin walking and turning towards you. God, I pray for this church that we would never, ever, ever lose the sense that people can come here and belong long before they believe what we believe or act like we act, that our circles are open. God, would you help each person in this room pick up the responsibility and privilege of smiling and speaking first and creating a powerful culture of acceptance. I pray it in the powerful name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen.